Um, I don't think my book would have been published 10 years ago. Not to name any names, but there's an, another author who talks and writes diverse literature who is mentioning that when she tried to publish her rom-com, a diverse rom-com, I think it was four or five years ago, her agent flat out told her, like, this book is not going to get published. Welcome to Books Connect Us from Penguin Random House. This is a podcast about staying connected to the stories that inspire us. We're going behind the scenes with our favorite authors to give you the inside scoop on the story behind the story. Today's episode features two authors in what we're calling our Books Connect Us Romance Roundtable. Kasoko Jackson and Amanda Elliott are both modern romance writers with multiple books under their belts. Kasoko is a digital media specialist who lives in the New York metro area and spends too much time listening to Halsey and Taylor Swift. His YA debut, Yesterday's History, came out in 2021. Amanda, in addition to her romance novels, is the author of several young adult and middle grade books as Amanda Panich. She lives in New York City where she owns way too many cookbooks for her tiny kitchen. In 2022, Kosoko published two queer rom-com novels, I'm So Not Over You and A Dash of Salt and Pepper, which features fake relationships, close quarters, and of course, lots of banter. Amanda's novels feature Jewish protagonists, both in the food industry, who develop sizzling chemistry with their foodie counterparts. Alyssa and I talked to Kosoko and Amanda about the romance genre, how its target reader has evolved, and how today's romance authors are using the genre's beloved tropes to weave queer and multicultural love stories into the narrative. We'll be back after the interview to share our thoughts. Enjoy. Thank you both for being here. Thanks um, for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. This is an especially exciting episode of Books Connect Us because we are joined by two authors, Kosoko Jackson and Amanda Elliott. Today we're talking about all things romance, and I'd love to know from both of you, what about the romance genre captivated you? What does it allow you to do, and what are some limitations you've had to overcome? For me, what interests me the most about the romance genre was honestly the ideas of happy endings. Um, I actually started writing my books right before the pandemic started and so like I was kind of like a little like psychic that like something was going to happen um, but I just needed some joy in my life and it was just the idea of having more prescriptive ideas and direction of how to write a book but the unique challenge of figuring out how to do something that is a tale as old as time cleverly was a new challenge for me as an author and I always like to challenge myself for each one of my books we know that romance especially rom-coms always have happily ever afters or happily for nails but how do you tell that story differently each time was mm. the most interesting part to me and there was something nice about knowing there was going to be a happy ending at the end mm. Yeah, my answer is pretty similar to that, actually, because I also started writing soon before the pandemic. We were actually out on submission, like, when the pandemic hit, um, mm. which is great timing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was going through a period where I was like, you know, I also really just wanted something happy in my life. And I would read books and I would be like, well, you know, I might not know. Maybe this will end with everybody dead and I'll be sad. Yeah. Or maybe like and then I'd pick up like a romance and I'd be like, well, I know this is going to be happy and everyone's going to be happy at the end. And so I actually didn't think about writing my own until I read Well Met by Jen DeLuca, mm -hmm. um, which I loved. Um, and I read that and I was like, you know, I want to write a book that makes people feel like that. Mm. Um, and so that's how my first adult book, Sadie on a Plate, came about. Um, I'd say the limitations also very similar. I swear I'm not just copying your answers. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's because there is something, you know, they always have a happy ending. The characters end up together at the end. So it is um, some, you know, it's always some work to figure out how can I, 
you know, make this ending predictable, but also like not too predictable. Like how can I put some new spin on these tropes or some new, like, you know, some exciting new jobs the characters have or like some new side relationships or like, you know, some kind of flair to keep it from being too predictable. Totally. And it's interesting you say that too, like you guys have both written novels relatively recently, but in the last decade, there's been a noticeable shift in the marketing and packaging of romance genres. used to be that romance readers, often women, were somewhat ashamed of openly reading romance novels. That was a cliche. They'd hide them under their mattresses. They called them bodice rippers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What is your take on this transition from the quote-unquote bodice rippers to the modern romances that you guys both wrote and are reading? Um, I mean, yeah. So on one hand, it, it makes me partially sad, partially happy. I'm partially sad, not because I think there's anything wrong with, you know, changing how, what a cover looks like or changing how something's marketed, but because I don't think anyone should be ashamed of what they're reading. Absolutely. Um, like, I, I personally believe there's not just thing as a guilty pleasure. Like, if you like reading something, it's good. And everyone should be, you know, nobody should be ashamed of that. But um, on the other hand, it did open up the genre to readers who wouldn't have picked up um books like that before. So I think on the other hand, it's also, you know, it can be a good thing to open up um, a genre and have more people reading it. So that's where I kind of stand on that. Yeah. And I think I agree mostly. I mean, I think that romance and rom-coms have obviously been around for a very, very long time. We have Mm -hmm. titans like Beverly Jenkins, who has been writing these like diverse, different books for ages. But I think in the most recent years, at least for me, I think about, I'm a YA author. So Mm -hmm. coming from the YA space, like I distinctly remember when Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give came out Mm -hmm. and kind of elevated YA contemporary literature. At least for me and my generation, I would say that most people in my generation would mention Casey McQuiston Mm -hmm. and Red, Right, and Royal Blue that really elevated the genre. Not that these books didn't exist, but it became incredibly mainstream. These more 20-year-old characters that kind of like mix and straddle the line between like a rom-com and not a rom-com in ways that I think just elevated into the, like the normal zeitgeist. Then we have people like Jen Luca and other authors, Emily Henry, who are just making these rom-coms incredibly more accessible. We have other diverse authors who are just making it more diverse and more reflective of the world at large, which I think has also just helped it me more commercially acceptable. Mm. That's actually a great transition to my next question. Um, So I work in multicultural marketing and I actually worked on um, Amanda's book. I hope I get to work on your next work, um, Kasoko. But um, I was talking to a colleague about how Berkeley, the imprint that published both of you, has made such strides in really like acquiring new diverse authors and like changing the game and like what we think is a traditional Mm -hmm. romance author. Um, How do you think the publishing process would have been different for both of you had you tried to publish your books like 10 for 15 years ago? Um, I don't think my book would have been published 10 years ago. Mm. Um, I, not to name any names, but there's an, another author who talks and writes diverse literature mm-hmm. who was mentioning that when she tried to publish her rom-com, a diverse rom-com, I think it was four or five years ago, her agent flat out told her, like, this book is not going to get published. Wow. And, like, diversity is elevated drastically in the years, partially because of necessity, I feel like, but also because of just the times are changing. I wrote this book. I put it on submission, I think, in, like, January of 2020. I can't exactly remember. But I think I sent it out to 10 editors. Mm -hmm. And my editor, Kristen, was the only one who actually took the book. It died on submission with nine other editors, and she was actually the last one who wanted to take a chance on it. Wow. Yeah, I think that my book, I mean, I don't want to say something would have sold or would not have sold because I don't know really the market 10 years ago as well as I do today. But I think it definitely would have been less Jewish. Um, Yeah. Like my book, Sadie on a Plate, is pretty Jewish. Um, Like she cooks Jewish food. She's really proud of her heritage. And I think the thing about being, you know, 
white and Jewish is that we can be white passing. Yeah. Um, so I think that I probably would have still written mm-hmm. a book like that and put it on submission, but she probably would not have cooked Jewish food. She probably would not have been like as, you know, as Jewish as she was. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And I think maybe 10 years is too big of a time gap. I'm <laughs> yeah. thinking like, it seems like four, yeah. three, four years. Like, like the pandemic. Yeah. Really. It's really changed the game. Um, for both of you, how do you each play with incorporate or subvert romance tropes in your writing? So I try not to subvert too much because I know like a part of what I love about romance and the genre is part of that predictability where, you know, like, you know, you start off enemies to lovers, you know, kind of what you're going to get. You start off friends to lovers, you kind of know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, one trope that I've really enjoyed subverting in my book is because I've seen in a lot of like some of the older rom-coms, there will be that kind of frenemy relationship between women, especially if they're mm-hmm. competing for the same guy. Right. And so one thing I've really liked um, doing in both of my books and my upcoming book is kind of taking that trope and being like, you know, like we're friends like you know and I think I had a lot of fun in Sadie on a plate because she does start out having that kind of traditional frenemy relationship with one of her fellow competitors on the show like they don't like each other Sadie's kind of jealous of the other girl who's you know prettier and more popular than she is Mm -hmm. um doing quote hands there yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's audio 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 only (laughs) (laughs) but um you know by the end they kind of even if they're not ever going to be the best of friends, even if their personalities don't totally match, they realize, well, we don't have to be competitors. We can, like, support each other and come together to, like, you know, be there for each other. And when it comes to subverting tropes for me, I, I come at it from a very similar point of view. I mean, I don't think that a rom-com means it cannot discuss really deep and integral topics of, like, being an adult. And so with my debut, I'm So Not Over You, yes, it's a rom-com, but it's also a queer rom-com. It's also a queer and black rom-com. Mm-hmm. And how, frankly, white people or how straight white people, even how women approach romance is generally different than a gay black man. Mm-hmm. And so I drastically and deeply tried to put that into the book. The book is, yes, has an element of class differences to it. One boy is practically a millionaire, comes from a millionaire family. One is a lot more blue collar. And how does that dynamic play inside of a society, especially when you layer in blackness and queerness? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that books cannot have happy endings and can't talk about these subjects. And that was something that I really wanted to incorporate. I love that. And I think that goes back to what you guys were saying about accessibility, because you're putting something that people turn to for happy endings and positive feelings and you're talking about and incorporating important real issues or mm-hmm. real just societal realities even yeah, something like lived realities right yeah. exactly exactly which is really what i find so fascinating and cool about the way that romance has evolved in the recent years and you kind of both touched on this in your answers but i'd love to dig in a little bit deeper um, about how your cultural heritage and identity play a role in the stories you write i'm jewish myself so i was really excited to read that Sadie, you know, had there was a, a line in the book. Um, I wanted to show you that Ashkenazi Jewish food that I grew up with is more than lakas and pastrami, which I like really appreciated. Um, so how do you incorporate your personal identities into your books? Um, and where do you kind of draw the line between you and Amanda? Maybe we'll start with you. Sure. Yeah. So I'd say my two books so far have been they both have Jewish main characters, but they're kind of different in how Jewishness is kind of included in the story. And Sadie on a Plate, the book could not exist without her being Jewish. Like, mm-hmm. it's an integral part of her character, of the story, and really, like, who she is and how she develops. Mm-hmm. And in the second one, Best Served Hot, um, Julie, the main character, is Jewish, but it's really not a focus of the plot. You know, if those few lines were taken out, like, it would not probably be that different. Right. Um, but I think that ultimately being Jewish and writing as a Jewish author and having these Jewish characters does shape the story, I think, in some ways, because 
I like to say that that having a love of food in the books kind of makes it a Jewish story. Like not that we're <laughs> yes. the only culture that has a love of food, obviously, of but that like food is really such an integral part of mm. being Jewish and the Jewish holidays and Jewish traditions. Like each holiday has like, you know, different foods associated matzah. with it. Oh, God, yes. We just finished Passover and matzah is always terrible. Yes. You always have to choke it down. Um, that first bite of bread when Passover ends. Yes. Best bite ever. It that is. just happened. Yeah. That did. You had, we had hummus and, and pita yeah. earlier. And she was, was like, like, oh, yes. <laughs> the moment. Um, yeah, we had the bread toasting in the oven last night before the sun even went down. Um, <laughs> I can just smell it already. I'm not even there. I can smell it. But yeah, so just like that, like there, the different foods are integral parts of each celebration. Like we've got the like the matzah, as we were just saying, for Passover and Hanukkah, we eat the fried foods and the donuts and the latkes and Tubishvat is all about different fruits. And so each holiday is associated with different foods and it really kind of shapes how you grow up and how you um kind of communicate with your history and your culture because a lot of it is through food or at least that is the case for me um and so I think a lot of that in my books was shaped by my cultural heritage um and I also like to say that dark humor is kind of a Jewish thing too because there is this saying about pretty much every Jewish holiday where it's like um you know they tried to kill us they failed let's eat yeah actually that also applies to the food part too (laughs) but um basically like you know when you've been continuously trying to be wiped out by like, you know, for thousands of years by all sorts of different peoples and, and civilizations, like you kind of have to laugh about it after a while. Yeah. Um, and so both of my characters and all of my books have had kind of like a dark humor. And I think that is also definitely, it's definitely been something that is hit or miss. Like we've gotten rejections from, you know, editors and, you know, and feedback from reviewers saying like, you know, this, is like you know a serious topic but like mm-hmm. the book is too funny like yeah. you know you're you're like making too light of it and I'm like that's just like kind of how I am yeah that, and I think that's life. you know and again that's also I don't think that's just a Jewish thing but it is definitely a Jewish thing and I think those two things have definitely from my my heritage have definitely shaped how I tell stories and write books I really like what you mentioned about like readers and editors like honestly not seeing a book through a diverse lens and understanding differences Mm. when it comes to like writing a queer black book and putting myself in the book. Um, I deal with that a lot with all of my books. Um, I'm So Not Over You and A Dash of Salt and Pepper have had a lot of mixed reviews about like how queerness is represented or how blackness is represented. And I think a common review, though we're never supposed to look at our Goodreads, um, (laughs) (laughs) we do anyway, is is that like my main characters are sometimes too sarcastic, too mean, too flippant. But frankly... I strongly believe that like romance, especially in diverse groups and how we approach romance and the beats of romance and reality are different. How a straight white couple is going to deal with courtship and societal norms is drastically different than like two gay men, especially two black gay men. Mm -hmm. And so not being able to understand that lens and to go into a book reading that lens is a weird thing when you're putting a lot of yourself into a book and getting that reception back. So I always, especially when I'm writing, have to decide, A, how much of myself do I want to put in my books knowing that I'm also putting myself kind of on the pyre to be judged in how like blackness and queerness is represented but at the same time what parts the good and the bad of black and queerness do I want to talk about in each book mm-hmm. I think you know representation is so important that seems like a, a catch-all phrase but it, it is true because I I'm biracial and bisexual and I didn't see a lot of representations mm-hmm. of my identity growing up um, especially in like relationships and how that can can look on all the different ways so I'm so excited that there's so many new raw queer love stories 
out there. Um, this is for you, Kasoko. Were there any queer love stories that inspired you to first write your book? And what does queer representation and romance look like to you? There were no canon queer love stories that inspired mm-hmm. me to write my book. Um, I think that, like, especially queer people have a large tendency to, like, ship characters that don't actually belong together. <laughs> yeah. um, I So there were queer characters throughout literature, um... Ambrose specifically from Sabrina, um, Mm. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which I was obsessed with when it first came out, to see, like, a black queer guy who was bisexual and was just kind of accepted for his Mm. sexuality and could still be magical and could still be badass was really impressive to me. But seeing these queer black characters, like, definitely, like, influenced and changed me. And then regarding queer representation in, like, the past and the future, um, I think it's come a really long way. I mean, I remember going to Borders, rest in peace, Mm. and reading a book called Rainbow High, in the back of the borders and feeling like I was doing something illegal because I was, like, reading this queer book. And so that, like, really inspired me to, like, grow and understand queerness and to, like, talk about the importance of queer representation, mm-hmm. both positive and, like, fluffy and cinnamon roll representation, yeah. but also, like, be gay, do crimes, do bad things. Yes. It's also just as important. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, this question's for Amanda. Um and you kind of already sort of touched on this, but I want to, again, go even deeper. But so Sadie on a Plate and Best Serve Hot feature Jewish protagonists. And specifically, how does the storytelling in your family, I mean, we talked about food being a huge part of Judaism, um, heritage. How does storytelling traditions in your family and your background play a role into how you write your Jewishness into your book? Yeah, I mean, I think storytelling is a big part of Judaism as well. Because, like, yeah. again, all the holidays, like at Passover, we sit around the table and we go around the table and we read the story of Passover. It's just a giant story. Exactly. Passover is just like a giant story. Um, and it would be nice if you could eat beforehand instead of <laughs> afterwards. I know, um, really. <laughs> but, um, and then, like, you know, Purim, again, it's like yeah. you people get up in the front of the room and read they the read story. the story of Purim and you have to shake the grogger when the names are said so you can't like kind of zone off and not pay attention. If, mm. um, and like really like all the holidays have some kind of component like that where Monica. you're telling a story. Yeah. We like, could go on and on. Could, I could li- literally sit here and list every Jewish holiday and waste all of our time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, so I think that's definitely influenced how I tell stories because I grew up hearing stories and, you know, telling stories to my family and and, you know, at synagogue and all of these different things. So I think that definitely contributes to it, I think. Did anyone in your family ever tell stories? Did you have like grandparents who were big storytellers or the opposite sometimes? Um, So my cousins every year at Passover, I have an older cousin who wanted to be a scriptwriter for a bit. Mm. So he would write, you know, all of us scripts for you know the younger Aww. cousins and of course you know we all wanted to take part so each year we had a different Passover video that we'd make um and he'd write us a script of like you know our, my our favorite was um when we told the story of Passover um my sister played the burning bush um I forget who I was but I had like a rap um it was really mm-hmm. bad I had a rap about like how wanting waffles like, <laughs> you know and not wanting mozza or something and so that was like it, it's that was a lot of fun um yeah. taking you know being a part of the story yeah totally I'm interested to know from you, too. Are there any storytelling traditions in your family that you, like, bring into your writing? Oh, that is a good question. Um, So my mother used to always, probably, I was too old for this, but <laughs> would um always, like, read to me before I went to bed. Mm-hmm. So I got a lot of, like, my love for stories from her. I'm also, like, very lucky. My mother and my father might not have let me watch Power Rangers until I was, like, <laughs> nine years old. But I was never, like, unable to buy a book. Mm-hmm. I grew up um far from my school, so a lot of time was spent commuting 
and also at home. So I read a lot. And my parents really encouraged that. I remember one of my first stories I wrote, uh, my parents let me read it to them on the commercial breaks of Wheel of Fortune. I was like six <laughs> years old. I got a Palm Pilot when I was 10 and I wrote my first novel. It was like <gasps> 20, 30 pages. On a Palm Pilot. <laughs> on a wow. Palm Pilot. Yeah, I was just sitting there writing. Um, so storytelling has always been like a strong part. Like mm-hmm. African-Americans and storytelling yeah. is like really synonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, shifting gears just slightly, I want to know how identity impacts the writing process. I feel like we are talking about this at length, but um, how do your origin stories seep into your writing, either intentionally or not? And do you think it's important to consciously insert yourself into your writing? So at least for me, um, both of my books do have a strong part of myself in them for mm-hmm. I'm So Not Over You. My main character suffers very badly from anxiety. I was just diagnosed with anxiety about a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, in A Dash of Salt and Pepper, my main character dealt with the trauma of basically having to uproot his whole life because he lost his job and, like, the whole economy mm-hmm. screwed up, which is not directly to me, but I did have to drop out of school in my very beginning because of bad grades. And so I put some of myself in my books. I don't always put myself in my mm-hmm. books. It really just depends does it make the character richer mm-hmm. I think it's an easy shorthand and a very easy thing to do and a good thing to do when you first start at writing but if you write a lot of books you're going to run out of yourself to put in and again you don't always want to put yourself in your books because then if you get bad reviews it can be very easy to reflect that on <laughs> you as a person that's so true <laughs> Yeah, so I try not to consciously insert myself into my books. So if you know me in real life, it's not about you. Um, except <laughs> if you're my ex. I did name the dirtbag ex after you. Um, <laughs> otherwise, no. Um, but one thing that I do like to have is, you know, in writing romance where I know it's going to end happily, I do like having Jewish characters in there because part of growing up, you know, spending a lot of time at the library, um, I grew up in a town that was, you know, there were very few fellow Jews in it. Um, so there were very few Jewish books in the library, like as much as there were really Jewish books being published. And the only ones that I read were really kind of like about the Holocaust mm-hmm. and everybody died and bur- or burned alive or had like really horrible, tragic endings. And so part of writing romance for me is loving to get to see like Jewish characters like not die horribly at the end and have happy endings. And I love seeing like other like Jean Meltzer and Rachel and Solomon and Meredith Shore and like all these other Um, authors who are writing happy Jewish books where, you know, Jewish characters get to live at the end and be happy instead of like, you know, dying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's true. And it's funny. I had Danny Shapiro on the podcast. She's a contemporary Jewish writer. She's written many books and memoirs. And one of the questions I asked her and I told her I wanted to have you on because I feel like there aren't so many realistic modern Jewish stories, especially written by women, um, you know, in this day and age that don't, you know, and tragically or, you know, take place in like a religious community, like something very relatable and tangible. So as a reader, I really appreciate that you're (laughs) writing characters that I can see myself in. Something that I find so interesting is that you both have like a YA writing background. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm interested to know in this like YA to romance pipeline, like, is this just a coincidence or is there a trend that that we should talk about? And for Amanda, um, can you talk about your your pen name? So Amanda Elliott is your pen name, correct? Um, So it's a two part question. But your how do you distinguish yourselves between your author personas? Um. Well, Amanda Panich is just not a sexy name. So I feel like it was okay for my children's books. Like, it sounds kind of, you know, fun. But I just, for romance, I wanted something that sounded a little, like, sexier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like you should probably interrogate that at some point. Because, like, I feel like the Jewish names, like, they're not really considered sexy. You know, yeah. like, you know, 
So that, that, that I can interrogate at a later date. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a longer but, conversation. <laughs> yeah, so it was really just about separating, you know, because we didn't want, I write middle grade and young adults, so we didn't want any, you know, 10-year-olds reading my books, like going on and looking in the library catalog and being like, oh, she also wrote this book called Best Served Taught About Food. Let me read that. <laughs> uh, okay. um, so it was kind of about separating the line between the two of them. Otherwise, I feel like, you know, it was just kind of a progression because I started writing, you know, like Kosoko, I started writing when I was young and I started writing kind of about characters who were my age. And so I was writing as a teenager, I was writing books about teenagers. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, through my early 20s, I was writing also books about teenagers because I still kind of felt like a teenager. Mm -hmm. And then when I sold my first book, which is, you know, 10 years ago now at this point, um, I kept writing YA because that was what had worked for me kind of in the past. Mm -hmm. And then... It wasn't that I outgrew YA. Like, I still love writing YA. I still love reading YA. But I did kind of feel like I wanted to write something kind of from my a current perspective as well. Um, and so it's funny because I actually find writing the adult books, like, people always think, oh, well, a kid's book, that's, like, so easy to write. But I actually find, and again, no book is easy to write. I'm not right. saying any book is easy. But, like, in far of like as far as like relative easiness goes, I actually have the hard, harder time the younger I go, like mm -hmm. because, you know, when I'm writing an adult book from the perspective of like a 30 year old or something, it's like, well, I have to think of myself in the head of this character, but she's at like a similar level of like maturity and perspective as me. So I don't have to make like kind of a double leap. But when you go backwards in age, I'm like, OK, well. Now that I'm writing from the perspective of a 16-year-old, I have to think about, like, you know, not only is she a different character for me with a different personality and different outlook on things, but also she's, like, you know, a teenager. And things are definitely, you know, things feel really differently being in the head of a teenager. So it's really kind of like a double leap. And then, like, a 12-year-old, like, <laughs> yeah. even farther. Yeah. And I'm lucky I kept, like, a diary from those ages. So oh. if I'm really stumped, I go back and I read, like, okay, like— here, like, is where my great grandfather was dying, but I spared. I sent like two sentences in that because I was obsessing out the boy who sat behind me in math, like in math class, <laughs> um, and that's kind of where my head was at then. Mm. Um, so, hats off to people who write like picture books and chapter books. Mm. I don't know how you go that far back. <laughs> I don't know if there's like a specific like YA to rom com pipeline. There are a few <laughs> other more writers who are doing that. Mm -hmm. um, I think part of it, and this is like not a sexy answer, but I think part of it is money. Mm -hmm. um, diversifying your income as a writer is like crucial right. to survival, unless right. you're like one of the like top like one percent of authors. Very true. Which is partially why I did it. I mm -hmm. want to diversify my writing, and also like to me, each book should be a challenge. And mm -hmm. so partially like Amanda, as I grew, I wanted to like write different things and explore different things that you can't explore like in YA books. Mm -hmm. um, but I still do both. Like I still have both of my career trajectories. I write YA and I still write adult. Next year I have, oh, my next rom-com comes out next year, but this year my next YA comes out. So like I do both. I try to alternate them year-wise. But yeah, I just wanted a new challenge and it was fun to be able to like do that. Do you feel like the writing process is very different? I go back and forth about that. I guess mm -hmm. you get to ask that question, like, a lot. Um, <laughs> so I don't think it's that different. Like, a book is a book is a book. Right. Um, and so, like, you still need to put words on a page. But, like, how I execute it might be different. There are certain—I could write the same scene from a YA to an adult perspective and in and an adult, and it would be drastically different because just how a teenager deals with love is very different than how, like, a 29-year-old mm -hmm. or a 30-year-old deals with love. Um, so there's some differences in there, but there's still a lot of similarities, partially because I write younger characters— my main 
characters in my books are usually in their like 20s, late 20s. So the jump between 18, 17, 18 to late 20s is a jump, but it's not the same jump as like 18 to 40. True. Okay. I thought it was really interesting what you just said about like how you could write, you know, the same scene from like a different mm-hmm. perspective and that, you know, being very different. Because I've actually like had, you know, sometimes you have an idea and you're like, well, should this be YA or should this be adult? Mm-hmm. And you could really write it either way. It would just be like a very different book. And yes. so I found that very interesting. And I found one thing actually that's different about um, writing a kid's book that also I find like a little more challenging is because you have fewer words to fit it all in. So you still have to tell like, you know, a complete story and you still have to tell like, you know, you have to do the same character development and all of this stuff. But in say in a middle grade book, you get like, you know, maximum maybe 50 or 60,000 words to fit it in. Whereas in an adult book, you might get like, you know, up to 100,000 words to fit it in. So that is definitely a challenge. (laughs) I like I'm cutting down my novel now and I'm like, oh, my God, to cut to 60,000 words. Like, that's tough. That's really tough. Um, So my next question is about chemistry. And I'm sure you guys get this a lot from aspiring rom-com romance writers. But how do you create chemistry on the page? And do you have any advice for writers looking to write sizzling romances? Usually my idea of chemistry is like, what trait do I, would I like find the most appealing in a person? Mm. And I usually include that in the book in some way, shape or form. So in my sophomore book, Logan O'Hare is a single father, but he's also a chef. And I was like, okay, cool. What are some things that like personify a chef? What do I like? And I was like, tattoos. He's in a like a cover band and he also (laughs) has like shaggy hair. He's basically Milo Ventimiglia if he was in a small town. Oh my God. He's my like number one. Yeah. I'm like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I take looks from like other actors that I like and appeal to, but I then I also like just find like one or two personality traits that I like. And then I try to balance like what is something that can cause tension between these two. If it's something that I'm looking for, if it's an enemies to lovers type thing, it really depends on the trope and figuring out like to me, it's a puzzle to figure out how these Mm -hmm. two go together because the chemistry is the most important part of the book. Yeah, I I agree. Chemistry is like super obviously, you know, the whole book kind of revolves around chemistry. Mm -hmm. Um. I tend to, I write single point of view books, like usually, well, always from the woman's point of view um, with a, like a male love interest. Um, And so I generally start with her and like, you know, as much as people like to say, oh, the world doesn't revolve around you. The world does revolve around her, at least like the world of the book. Because I usually like will build her up as a character first, like and think like, what is she like? What does she want? Like, what is her goal over the course of the book? How is she going to grow and change? And then I think, well, what does she need in a partner? Like who, like what are, Mm. you know, what will balance out her flaws? Mm. Like what kind of is a complementary journey for her to go on? And so that's kind of how I shape the male love interest. And then I add like the sexy stuff, you know. Like the long hair and the tattoos or whatever, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, yeah. So I always start kind of with the um, the the personality and the character journeys and figuring how they can fit into each other and complement each other and grow with each other over the course of the book. Well, they call it main character energy for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> so we've reached our lightning round, which is just a fun little segment we do where we ask uh, writing questions. Um, and I'm gonna say two words, and you'll pick the first one that pops up in your head. Okay, ready. <laughs> Couch or desk? Am I allowed to say both? Because I write on both. Um, I tend to be like an all-place writer. Like I have my office desk, but then sometimes I'll go write on the couch. Um, As long as I have my laptop, I can write anywhere. I hope that wasn't cheating. (laughs) No, not cheating at all. (laughs) Now that I have a new apartment, desk. Okay. Uh, Home or cafe? Cafe. Home. Coffee or tea? Water. (laughs) It's really boring. I can't drink caffeine. Caffeine messes with my body. Definitely coffee. (laughs) Digital or handwritten? Digital. Digital. Can type really fast. Can't write very fast. Mm -hmm. Cross out or word vomit? 
Word vomit. <laughs> Word vomit. <laughs> outlining or free writing? Outlining. Mostly outlining. Morning or night? Morning. Night. Mm. Oh. <laughs> uh, music or silence? Music. Silence. Ooh, Do we have to like fight that. now? <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Next week on the podcast. <laughs> it's Fight Club. Let's well, just we have to fight in Romance the Fight Club. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, are either of you reading anything noteworthy that you want to tell our listeners about? Um, so right now I'm reading Stone Cold Fox, which is I love books and stories about terrible rich people and like just like the terrible things they do um and so it's about like a con woman who kind of wants to con her way into this old money wealthy family and kind of you know obviously she can't just that just can't happen easily they kind of are figuring out who they were and so that's really good so far two romances that i finished recently that i really loved um x's and o's by amy Mm -hmm. leah um, which is the second in her influencer series about a bookstagrammer who falls in love with her hot firefighter roommate. Um, oh, and, love it. I love it. <laughs> and um, The Neighbor Favor by Christina Forrest, mm. which is um, a really fun, like, bookish romance about an editor who falls in love with an author. But, you know, they've, they've been corresponding secretly for years, like, by email, so they don't know that it's the other. You know, they're actually falling in love with their neighbor. And it's just very I love like cool. kind of like hidden, you know, yeah. where they falling in love, but they don't know. It's like, you know, their ordinary neighbor who they're actually falling in love with. So that <laughs> book was a lot of fun. Forrest is another YA to um, rom-com author, to adult mm. rom-com author, too. Mm. Um, I just finished reading The Manor House Governess by Charlie Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an amazing book. It is basically a queer period piece. That's like mm. literally the best way to describe it. Um, and I am obsessed with period pieces and I was lucky enough to blurb it. And it comes out in August or September this year, I think, or it's November, sometime this fall. Oh, that awesome. was such Thank a good you. pitch. <laughs> yes, we will add them all into our show notes. Yes. And then uh, what upcoming projects are you guys working on? Where can listeners find you on social media or your website? Amanda, you want to go first? Yeah, so I can't talk too much about it because it hasn't been announced yet, but it's um, Hanukkah Exciting. romance. Um, it's going to be Jewish, and there's going to be a lot of fried food. So keep your eyes peeled um, for oh that. Gosh, I'm Hopefully so excited. the announcement will be coming soon. That's very exciting. And my next rom-com comes out um, next spring, I believe, um, through Berkeley. It's called Wrangled and Entangled. And it's basically a grumpy, sunshine, cowboy city slicker romance. Oh, wow. I hope it gets to work on it. Exciting. (laughs) And then, yeah, where can we find you guys? What are your your social media handles? So I am lucky um, with having a unique name. Everything is Kosoko, K-O-S-O-K-O, Jackson, literally across all websites. Awesome. Easy. Yeah, so my pen name is not that unique. There are a lot of Amanda Elliott's out there. So um, you can find me under... Amanda Panich. Um, that's P-A-N-I-T-C-H. Um, I'm most active on Instagram as Amanda Panich. Um, and my website is amandapanich.com where you can sign up for my newsletter um, that I do not send out very often. But when I do, it's usually book news or like, you know, event news or, you know, fun book related things. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for being here. This was so fun. Thanks for having Thanks me. so much it's been for having very us. fun. Yeah. Thank you. Talk about chemistry. That was so much fun. I know. That was so fun. And we got the romance author approval. I feel like if a romance author approves the table chemistry, then you're good. (laughs) This was our first interview with four people. And I think we did. We did splendid. And also thank you, Pat, for facilitating all the technical things. Yes. Podcast Yoda (laughs) for the win. I had to lean in for that one. <laughs> so, Carolina, are you still a romance skeptic? <sighs> um, 
I want to say I'm less of a romance skeptic. And I don't even know if a skeptic is the right word. I think it was more like before this conversation, it's more just like, is it my cup of tea? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think they can be really wonderful books. I really loved when they talked about the happy ending like yeah. as why they wrote the books and like why readers love them. And maybe I'm just have too dark of a soul. <laughs> but I <laughs> I just am always like, oh, like I, I feel like I'm very like don't love the predictability of things. Yeah. Um, but I'm really excited to dig more into the queer rom-com genre um, mm-hmm. and just kind of like see how that's different from other romance books I've read in the past. Yeah, and I loved what Kosoko said. He said, happy for now, which I think mm. is like more realistic, which is yeah. to say like just because like this piece, this chapter of these characters' lives ends with them being together doesn't mean they're necessarily yeah. like th- together forever, yeah. then still doesn't make it any less you know, yeah. hot or or fun or interesting or powerful to read. And I think maybe the reason it's like the place I'm at in my life now, um, I think when I was in high school and, and co- early college, even like middle school, I was really obsessed with like early 2000 rom-coms. Like mm-hmm. they were my favorite. And then suddenly I just wasn't as interested in it anymore. Well, so. they kind of stopped making good ones. And yeah, I, I mean, that's it. That's my personal theory. This is a unverified, unscientific Alyssa Adler (laughs) theory, mind you. But my personal theory is that rom-coms are really booming right now is because they're kind of fulfilling this market that the movie industry just sort of dropped. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you look at, you know, these authors, of course, Amanda and Kosoko, and then you have people like Emily Henry, Jasmine Gilroy, like the rom-com who write good banter. And it's not necessarily about like the like steamy, steamy parts. It's about like the relationships and the friends and the funny, you know, parent situations. Like the, I loved a friends to lovers, enemies to lovers rom-com back in the day. Oh my gosh. What are some of your favorite rom-coms? I'm trying to remember the name. I would say You've Got Mail, which is like an old one. Classic. My mom and I watched it when I was little. She loved a a 90s rom-com. When Harry Met Sally. Mm -hmm. Probably my favorite. I love When Harry Met Sally. That's definitely one of mine. 13 Going on 30. Oh, of course. Literally, I could watch that movie (laughs) nonstop. The thriller scene. Sometimes when I'm having a really bad day, I just watch the scene where, do you know what I'm talking about? The thriller scene where she's like, Maddie, come on. You taught me thriller. That scene is so good. (laughs) What a good movie. I love when it plays on TV just randomly. It's a fun thing to have in the background. Yes, totally. (laughs) So, Alyssa, what was one of your favorite parts of the conversation? I really loved how Amanda talked about incorporating her Jewishness into her work. Um, We talked about, you know, how romance has changed in the past, like, you know, 10 years, even less than that. And she said previously how she was hesitant to put Jewishness in her books and make her um, characters outwardly Jewish. Mm. And it's funny, actually, on her way out, she kind of pulled me aside and she's like, oh, I can't read read your book. Like, I agree with you that... You know, the world needs more modern female Jewish writers and Jewish characters. And I just really appreciated that. And I told her, even though my protagonist is intentionally not Jewish, she interacts with a lot of Jewish stories and Mm -hmm. is sort of more about like empathizing Mm -hmm. with people of different backgrounds. Um, But no, I really love that. And I really appreciate that. And I think it's it's also funny. This makes me think of a story. I was flying home over the holidays. I don't know if it was last year or two years ago on Delta. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have, like, their holiday feature. I remember I was, like, scrolling through. There are all these, like, Hallmark Christmas movies. And then there's, like, one Jewish movie. um, And it was about a 
Catholic girl who finds out that mm. she's Jewish. I know. I was laughing so hard because I'm like, that's the premise that you're going with? Yeah. Like, you couldn't just make two Jewish protagonists. You yeah. had to make one girl find out that she's Jewish. Um, so that was something I loved. What about you? What was your favorite part? I think something that really struck me um, that Kosako said was that had he tried to publish his books 10 years ago, he wouldn't have been able to. Mm-hmm. Like, both he actually tried to do that and you know, got passes, but also just because the romance genre specifically had a very specific look, like to who the characters were, what type of stories were told, and the market, like that people thinking that a market doesn't exist. And I think that speaks a lot to the work that I do in multicultural marketing of expanding horizons on where your readers are and like finding new readers requires taking chances because you never know like it might work out and then of course you start seeing trends of diverse rom-coms trending and there's a reason for that it's because as Kosuko said it's reflecting the times that we're living in and the types of stories that people have always been wanting to see and they finally can and that's our episode thanks for listening Books Connect Us is a production of Penguin Random House Media, hosted by me, Alyssa Adler, and Carolina Merkins, produced by Pat Stango, and edited by Clayton Gumbert. For other great podcasts featuring your favorite authors, check out Marlon and Jake Read Dead People, The Taste Podcast, Criminal Types, and others found in our show notes below. To support Books Connect Us, we'd be so grateful if you could subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.